Hello, and how's it going? I'd like to give a nice tavern hello, and I'd like to say, stay a while and listen. This is Grognar the Young, the young Grognar. It's still recovering a little bit with a little bit of a throat ache, a little bit of a throat frog, whatever you want to call it. I am joined by, uh, well, I mean, the, the people who are supposed to be on the show, we had a great cast of characters, but they all left, and the person who came by to snack the leftover cheese off the off the deli tray was, uh, what would what, you say your name was again? Cheese. Grommet? <laughs> Hello. It's <laughs> me, Sarah, the soft <laughs> and okay. quietly spoken. Okay, well, anyway, off to another great start of the podcast. Um, so we're going to carry onward, strong and forward, ready to go, more on this campaign building podcast series. Um, today's episode is brought to you by the later, uh, but today later we've got some, later. yeah, the later. Listen, okay, I don't need you judging my faux southern accent, okay? Especially not when my voice isn't working, but... Anyway, after last episode, which I think we ended on a pretty solid note, and we were talking about a lot of the artsy-fartsy literary elements from the last stuff, and I, I don't know, I, I think that, I don't know, I think we're ready to continue. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of awful if we started the podcast only to say we can't continue, but uh, in, in the spirit of all things progressing forward, I think we're ready for the next question. The save file was corrupted. Must restart. I'm so glad you're on the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure all the listeners are too. Yeah, all three of you guys out there. Thank, thank you. Uh, so the first question we've got is: What prominent fantastical bodies of water are there in the world? Now, I got inspiration from a band uh, known as Rhapsody, which, after a legal dispute, had to change the name to Rhapsody of Fire, and after a band breakup or two, became like four different Rhapsodies. So, frankly, there's one album in particular. I can't remember which one it is, but it's definitely one of the earlier ones. And they make mention to a kingdom of waterfalls and like a princess of the land of waterfalls. And I know it's like the the cheesiest thing you've ever heard with absolutely no grounding in anything. It's just nonsensical. It's really a pointless reference. But for some reason, it always stuck out in my head. So when I think of fantastical bodies of water, obviously we think of like, you know, the lady in the lake and all that stuff. And I, I just, what? What are you smirking about? Because it's lady of the lake? No, I was just thinking Nessie. Oh, yes, that, <laughs> the Lady of the Lock. Very good. The Lady of the That's Lock. That's what I was thinking. The Lady of the Lake and the Lady of the Lock. Very the good. La- Ow! Okay, so anyway, apart from me punching you in the arm for talking when not asked to, um, the, uh, the idea that came to my head was to have magic waterfalls in the world. And I know, because this is the other thing, is when we're designing this campaign setting, it's hard for me to say, like, all the fantastical bodies of water. It's kind of like how we were talking about the underground caverns in the last episode. Like, are there underground, like, places where things live? Like, y- yes, but, like, I-, I don't know if they wanted, like, some explicit, like, big-name city. Much in the same way, what, is there, like, you know, what fantastical bodies of water are there? Like, I 
I mean, do you want me to name all of them? Or So I'm going to say that I think the idea of waterfalls strikes me as like an avenue of fantasy that I don't know has been really tapped into too much. But if you were to imagine this fantasy world having like waterfalls, like think of the imagery that comes along with like the water cascading off of a river and crashing in that foamy mist making something of like a, like a rainbow effect when the light hits all the particles the right way. Like that's got fantasy written all over it. So what if those waterfalls acted as almost like planar gateways from somewhere into this realm, and for that reason they almost act as sort of like a beacon of like good good omens, like waterfalls have stuff, I don't know, behind them or stuff comes through them, and there's probably lots of folklore over like, you know, where th what things have come from there, what things are capable of traveling through them, yada yada yada, but uh, did you have any uh, any ideas there? Um... Well, I so this question, I feel like it's hard to define just magical bodies of water in your campaign, fine, but most of the other questions have been like, what important things have shaped your world? So, you know, I think going off of that, I don't know, I don't really think of bodies of water when I'm writing campaigns personally. I just kind of... Yeah, I mean, I know we, we did one of those campaign setting map builders where we roll all the random dice, yeah. and one of the things we had to roll for was lakes I yeah. think yeah, yeah, so at one there. point we we rolled special die for like special magical things so there's like special magic mountains special magic desert yada 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 and one of them was a special magic lake and I can't really remember what we did for that one I think we said there was like some healing properties to it or something yeah, like that it was something like that and then I feel like there was something regarding um like a, a relic or something in there very lady yeah. of the lake feeling there was some sort of lady yeah. of the lake vibe where there was some sort of like buried sword or not buried but you know like right sunken sunken i was gonna say drowned and i'm like nope <laughs> <laughs> uh the first thing that comes to mind though is the idea of it like reversing common tropes to make them like not as tropey but still recognizable and the first thing that comes to mind for this is thinking of lord of the rings and i'm committing some level of treason by not knowing the name of this place off the top of my head right now but the 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 wetlands where there's like the dead oh you know what I mean? Oh, no. Off the top of my head, oh, I can't no. remember. Like, Dead Men's something or something. You know what I mean? Like, the oh. something of Dead Men. Either way. I know. It's going to kill me, too. I probably just lost the only listener we had. I'm sorry to see you go, <laughs> whoever you are. <laughs> Goodbye. I'll just blame it on Ryan. Um, but anyway, I think that doing something similar to that could be kind of interesting and trying to take sort of an angle where there's, like, Deadlands and, like, the water is sort of its own fetid rotten thing because oftentimes i think like cleansing waters is such a cliche of just i don't know like just the real world's appreciations of water when you think about like the mythos that surrounds water i think the idea of having holy water cleansing water like the idea of things being bathed in water like mm. it obviously fits the world that we live in but thinking of the fantasy world and taking that and, like, kind of trying to flip it on its head a little bit, I think the idea of having, like, tainting waters or, like, evil fetid waters, the idea it almost acts as sort of, like, a plague. Like, it almost makes me think of, like, Aboleth water, where, like, the big floating Aboleth things, and you know what I'm talking about with Aboleths? Like, the weird aberration, like, giant space mm. tadpoles that, like, hang on the water. Mm. And if you touch their water, it, like, gives you a mind effect where it, it can sometimes, like, control you something like that and thus they gain like tons of worshiping followers because they touch the water and then they become like one with the muck mm. and the idea that there could be water like that somewhere out there like raw chaotic water like just aquafina but it's not so aquafine you know what i mean mm. it's like aqua <laughs> chaos and in a, in a bottle aquamina 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Evalon. <laughs> okay, I'm done with the water puns. Dasani. Okay, I'm no, 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 we're no, gonna. We're I, I was just thinking Dasani in my head. I'm like, don't do it, Sarah. Devil Step away from the light. Devil Sani. Okay, Damani. Um. Okay. Nope. No, no, we're done. We're They're done. all terrible. Okay, thank you. Um, but the idea of having sort of tainted waters like that is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think the waterfalls are probably the coolest idea out I of mean, all. I mean, I'm them. a sucker for waterfalls. I, and, yeah, I, yeah. And like, number of times I've run behind random waterfalls in every single game I've ever played to be like, is there a cave hidden? <laughs> and then and honestly, I think you could even make a bit of lore surrounding the world, suggesting that behind one waterfall in the world. There is, like, something back there. You could even make, like, the lore that, like, you know, one magic waterfall somewhere in the world, there's something hidden behind it. Unless it's kind of, like, in everybody's good... Like, it's like following a rainbow, Mm. where it's, like, at the end of every rainbow, there's supposed to be gold. You know what I mean? That's kind of neat. Behind some waterfall somewhere is, like, all the world's treasures, or the one way out. You know what I mean? Like, some fancy thing. That would be neat. I would like that. just a 9mm handgun back there. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... Smith and Wes and waiting behind Feeling the Feeling lucky, are we? Ah. It's just Clint Eastwood waiting to shoot the first person who <laughs> gets better. Feeling lucky, kid. Or whatever it is. As I butcher some random line. Yeah. I mean, not even a random line. Coming this summer to a theater near you. Sarah in <laughs> Dirty Sarah. You feeling lucky, kid? Man, boy. Thing. Sir. Did I shoot a gun? Are you uh, feeling is the lucky? on or off? <laughs> You're holding it backwards. <laughs> I mean, that seems right. Okay, uh, so on to the next question. Uh, what's valuable in your world? Gold or something else? Now, questions like this bother me because I'm like, it, again, it's one of those middle road kind of things where if I say gold is not valuable, it's it's interesting, adds a ton of flavor, but all of a sudden now we have to explain a ton too. So it's like if we say gold is not the value, like the typical regarded value, like peasants and commoners would pray for gold on their birthday. You know what I mean? Blow out the candles and they wish for gold. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? When they think of riches, they think of like Scrooge McDuck diving into a pile of gold coins. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to imagine a world where they think their Scrooge McDuck was diving into a pile of any other material like representing like incredible wealth, it just feels like all of a sudden then we have to explain a bunch. Mm. So... What's valuable in your world? We were talking about this a little bit earlier, trying to figure this out. And obviously, silver is the working man's wage. Gold is, like, you know, like, rich people use gold as a place marker for silvers. And obviously, beyond there, you have your platinum and gemstones regarded as basically only good for treasure and king's ransoms. But when you think about what's valuable in the world, we kind of agreed that magic items and, and magic things of old would probably be regarded as, like, truly valuable stuff like in a treasure mm-hmm. hoard the things that would be regarded as most valuable would be like magic items and that almost seems to hark to me of like the lord of the rings in a sense where it's like the magic items almost were valueless because they were so valuable and it was like you couldn't put a price on on glimdering or like you know what mm-hmm. i mean on on, on uh, what's it called stinger stinger sting sting there you go um hey, i remembered glimdering okay that's the harder one but um or the orchrist but the idea, I think, is that what's cool is having valuable, like, all swords have sort of a name and have a backstory, and maybe weapons with a known backstory are more valuable than those without, mm-hmm. and thus there's something to be said about the most valuable items in the world being, like, heritage magical gear. You know what yeah. I mean? 
So the idea of like, or you can even go just more plain Jane than that and say like, scrolls and potions from a true wizard are themselves incredibly valuable because for a wizard to give up what they've basically sold their soul for is ridiculous. It's like getting guitar lessons from a guy who sold his soul to the devil to be a good guitarist. Hmm. Like, to have lessons from him would be invaluable. You know what I mean? Paying the ultimate price, but you got it on discount with a Groupon. Yeah. You know? Um, and so the next question we have is, what is the tech level and does magic integrate? Now, we talked about this a bit before when we were talking about constructs. So if you if you want to answer this one, do you um, want to? Should I put the microphone by your by your face? <laughs> Coming down this summer, my throat, like Sarah will respond to a question I mean, before the young grognard. <laughs> can she handle the stress? Can she get a word in edgewise? We will th- find out as they battle. All right, I've had enough of this. <laughs> um, well, so we were talking. We were talking about this earlier, um, and I kind of immediately it brought me back to the conversation about constructs that we had, where. Um, you know, they are probably burgeoning in the world that we have, but they have, you know, wizards have received that knowledge and the technology or whatever to the magic to make constructs through a infernal bargains or, you know, they've been taught in some way. And so I was kind of thinking that perhaps that's a similar origin for tech and like burgeoning technology. Um, just because I think we are agreed that with a D&D campaign, we tend to like there to be not a lot of tech because we want to try and keep it to, you know, fant- as fantasy as possible. And in my mind, that doesn't mean that there's like cell phones everywhere and all this kinds of our gear or any kind of. I mean, even bef- beyond that, but like, beyond that, like gears and all that kind of stuff. Refrigeration, right? All that kind of stuff. It's like the Middle Ages. Right. Um, Though it does bring up interesting forays for fantasy, and a lot of times people say that it's kind of blasé to have you know, the medieval technology levels. But then you think about, like, what could make a fantasy world cool is when you have the accepted tech level be that, but then you find ways for other races to, like, get around those curves of technology and find ways to sort of make their own, like, I don't know, magic or or just mechanical, like, workarounds to get that level of technology. So we use example of refrigeration. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this one time with Ben, uh, who's been on the podcast once, but... Um, the concept that imagine if there's dwarves who live at the top of a mountain and they have sort of a giant chimney that comes from the mountaintop and like flows perfectly down so that the wind that gets blown in there blows nice and cold and chilly and it gets down to the bottom of like a stoneworked chamber. Now, stone is a great insulator. So mm-hmm. if you were to have a giant block of ice down there and you were to have like the blowing wind continually through there circulating it would be basically just a giant refrigeration chamber Mm -hmm. now if you can imagine that these dwarves were the only ones who have mastered refrigeration and it's sort of like the home of refrigeration where there's like just a place in the world where things can be kept cold like it makes a really interesting take on dwarves and makes them into like not just smiths but also like dudes who can like i don't know forage for meats for the winter and just keep it in there and thus when winter comes around like they're not going out hunting and they just like stay in lock their doors keep nice and cozy and go to the refrigerator next time they need a nice frosty ale i feel like that brings a nice degree of mysticism to technological advancement 
Yeah, I mean, well, what I thought was kind of nice about that one is that it's very simple mm-hmm. and it's very practical, mm-hmm. and thus we don't need the mysticism because anybody could figure it out. It's just that only with the manpower to like actually build these massive contraptions does right. that make sense. But I just mean I could imagine like the tales of the dwarves who keep things, you know, oh sure, right, and that kind of stuff where you know it, I think it makes it really pithy in terms of it just being, oh well, this is already done. I don't know. I think it makes it feel yeah. a little bit more not to mention it adds that level of flavor and culture like you right. said the idea that like an ale served dwarfishly would be a chilled ale mm-hmm. where some places of the world just wouldn't like the taste but for some reason dwarves that's, maybe that's the reason why dwarves are able to drink so goddamn much is because they don't have to taste how crappy it is because <laughs> it's so cold and they don't even taste it and that's why they're so good at just drinking all day is because they <laughs> never have to taste it anyway the downfall of the dwarven kingdom came with the the reckoning of a refrigerator Okay. Anywho. So, but yeah, like you said, other technology, which I'm sure magic would have to integrate with it. Mm. Again, like the golems and and uh, um, uh, constructs, they would have to have some level of magic to it. But anything regarded as being like higher tech than medieval would have to be like infernal contraptions, mm-hmm. like steam engines and stuff would have to come from like devilish, you know, domains. And then I think the last one that we can talk about, and we can call it quits for this episode, is what is the most misunderstood playable race? Now, I know we kind of went a little bit ham in the last episode talking about how much we don't like the Underdark and characters like that and how people have a resounding belief that any drow are kind of like overdone and blasé and like they're like the token edgelord character that like wants to be known as a badass but is very misunderstood. Now... I I don't know. Again, I'm kind of a little bit biased because I'm really looking to start up a new campaign uh, using the old school essential system and in their advanced fantasy genre rules. They have rules for the Sferf Neblin, the Durgar, which I've heard people call them Drugar, but I don't understand that pronunciation, and then last is the Drow. Now, what's interesting about them is that they... Like, each one of them feels almost like uh, an image of their racial counterpart, but sort of, like, made into the evil version of themselves. So what I suggested earlier when I was talking with Sarah about this is the idea that what if, just like with the gods who don't want to give up power, becoming evil and becoming, like, perverse flips of themselves, what if that's what happened with the followers of those gods who didn't give up hope in their god and instead just fervently continue to worship them? Like, what if the drow were just surface elves but their goddess like the original drow goddess before pushed away into exile when human gods showed up or something like that what if their elven goddess was like the goddess of honesty and truths and like her whole thing was about telling tales chronicling history and just telling the story straight so that nobody gets like a misinterpretation you know what i mean like imagine if the news only told objective news Mm. like that is the perfect vision of what that elven goddess wanted for the people but when the time came for her to give up her godly status she refused and thus she became almost like obsessed and corrupt in her visions for truth and thus she became a goddess of deception and that's probably how we came across Lolf was the idea that she believed that there's only one truth to be had and that every other truth that somebody tries to tell you is false and that she's the only one who truly tells the truth and thus everything said by anybody can be perceived as a lie and for that reason the drow were almost like I don't want to say like, you know, there's some certain subsects of Christianity that believe there's like, you know, being born with sin and that there's always going to be, uh, what's that called again? The, uh, uh, when you're born with sin, that's, um, I don't know the idea that, you know, 
like drow believe that because they're born into a world of lies they are allowed to lie because that's the nature of the world but they almost repent by just atoning with their priestesses and atoning with their goddess and just trying to reach that one truth by like doing everything in her honor and her image so that she can come back and she can set the mm. world right with one single truth so they almost view themselves as like guilty of being born but that's the one crime and that lying and sinning and murder and all these things are just repercussions of her not being in power you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. and thus they're misunderstood in that like i don't know they just have been misled by their goddess and they are just a people who and and i think that's a flavorful take on it so it's mm -hmm. not just loth being like i'm evil because i'm evil you should go lie and murder people because right. that's cool and instead if she views herself as like the only one who ever told the truth ever was misunderstood so she says well then f that if that's the rules we play by mm -hmm. then guess what children of the night we're like, gonna I own guess... our narrative right bingo take back the word um and then you look at something like the, the, the Duergar, and it's like the Duergar are misunderstood in that they're not necessarily like super great. And obviously, I don't know all the fluff for Duergar, and it seems like they rewrite it like every two editions. So, which is fine. I, I mean, you need to kind of toss things around. Like like kobolds at one point were dogs, and now they're just dragons. Like I don't I don't know when we had the true transition there, but they literally started off as being small reptilian dog people who yipped at things and barked. So whatever that's worth. But anyway, back to the Duergar. But I think Duergar could be kind of interesting to do their inverse where you suggest that their god was one of, like, wealth for the sake of, like, I don't know, developing wealth almost in, like, a, the purest capitalist mentality of, like, gaining wealth so you can be comfortable. Gaining wealth so that your people can be comfortable and happy and that you can, like, live a good life. The idea that attaining wealth wasn't good for the sake of just having money, but wealth brought comfort and pleasure and that was all good stuff. And thus, like, you know, the pursuit of money and, like, developing your craft and becoming a good person was all striving for the end goal of having a good life. Now, what if when that god lost power, the inverse to that was just the idea of attaining wealth and the idea that, like, pleasure will only come from having, like, infinite wealth. And for that reason, his followers will do literally anything to attain wealth and they'll never be satisfied with any of the wealth that they ever get. And thus they're like the most miserly and shrewd businessmen who are condoning of all black market practices and slavery and dealing of drugs and dark magics and they're willing to work with anybody if they can get a good deal just because they believe that like accruing wealth is itself like a virtue in that there's no such thing as enough money. But when that day comes that they have all the money, they will finally be comfortable and be free of the shackles of poverty that they assume that they have like a millionaire dwarf feels pity for himself and he's like why am i so poor and i don't have all the money yet and he's like look at me every day i live in sin and i'm angry at everybody it's because i don't have enough money mm -hmm. and i i kind of like the idea that they're misunderstood and that like they just are so misled you know what i mean yeah. and then the last one would be the Sverf neblin which i love Sverf neblin so much and i always have and i always will of all things that have come from the legend of drist series bill ward doesn't gulp the uh the friendly uh, Sferfnebelin guy from that series will always have a special place in my heart. I don't know why, but there's a very important scene where Drist sort of like, I don't know, creates a name for himself as being a good guy where they catch a bunch of Sferfnebelin in the Underdark and in order to show strength, he's supposed to kill them. But recognizing that this is a thinking, breathing creature that deserves life, Drist instead comes up with the devious plan to trick all the drow around him by saying, let's just cut off his hands and send him home as a message. Thus sparing his life, but also maiming him in the process. Yikes. And now naturally, later on, he meets this character again. Just who, Stumple. 
Well, no, he's got a hammer as one hand and a mining pick as the now, other. Now, that's one. a good way to make the best out of a situation. Yeah, I mean, they become homies because, I don't know, he comes back to the city without weapons and he basically says, he's like, listen, I'm trying to apologize. He says, but if I didn't do that, you would literally be dead. Mm. And so he lives a depressed life of not being able to face the world, even though he's like the greatest miner of all time. He's, he's got a hammer and a what? A, a mining pick. Ah, okay. <clears throat> but I like the idea that this Furf Neblin, because as portrayed in old school essentials, they literally are like capable of talking to rocks and discerning like direction and water and like false walls just by like talking to the talking to the rocks themselves and just communing with stone and like they can talk to earth elementals and I really like that vibe and that flavor. Mm. And I like thinking that again, maybe the gnomes had a god that was all about stones and precious metals and smithing and gemstones and just all the beauties that lie beneath the soil. And the thing is, is that when that god rose out, fell out of the power, they basically were told by the god that he, like, had, you know, the god basically came to the final vision, which is that the only true sanctuary, the only true beauty, the only true, like, sanctified magic in the world is that of precious stones and, and just stones in general, and that the only one true god is the rocks beneath the planet and everything else is just superficial and useless mm. pleasure and pain are useless mm -hmm. like flowers useless apples on trees animals on the surface just everything is useless the only thing that matters is the one absolute and that's the stone below and so for that reason they like kind of went nanners and just love rocks and like mm. talk to them and eat them and just are like bffs with stones <laughs> i'm just imagining like the little like rock figures that people make. Yeah, with googly eyes. Yeah. Being yeah. Like, this is my family. And that's, like, what they do. And so for that reason, like, they're not evil. They're just kooky. Like, they're just cuckoo. Like, you could not be friends with just one. Just like a Rolodex wallet, but it's a little <clears throat> pouch, and each one's got a little stone person in it. Just like, meet the family. <laughs> God damn. Oh, that's I, cute. And I like that idea, because they're misunderstood, too, because they're basically seen as being quacks. And, like, you can't be friends with them. You can't have a right. conversation with them, because they'll just, like lay on the ground sideways with their ear to a stone and just start talking about the weather with the rock mm. and asking how its family is. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're just kooky and they're not crazy. They just believe that everything around them is either an illusion right. or just kind of superficial and illusory, like in the grand scheme of things. And so I like the idea that that's where the misunderstanding comes from. Cause I kind of hate when things are just good for the sake of good or evil for the sake of evil. You know what I mean? Like that, that shit just rubs me the wrong way because I don't know. It just leads to like edgelord characters who are just badasses because they take the bad guy character and they say, but nah, I'm more complicated than that. Mm. And I just fucking hate that. You know, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not just edgy. I'm capital E edgy. Yeah. HXC motherfucker. Mm. But I don't know. So, I mean, I think that's as good a spot as any other to end the podcast. Did you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, no. The time has passed. <clears throat> Why, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that Sphirt Nebulon sound like Ferengi from Star Trek. Oh. And I just like that comparison in my brain. So if there's any Trekky li listeners out there, you know. We already lost our one listener, okay? Yeah, that's just, all right. Just but a... I'm a listener and I'm a Trekky, so I will come back full circle and really appreciate that comparison. Pat myself on the back for making the podcast what I want to listen to. <laughs> DMs appreciate your players. Players appreciate your DMs. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs>